Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Catch Up. Novak Djokovic fights to play in the Australian Open. Ash Barty gets up and running with a perfect start in Adelaide. And Rafael Nadal makes it title 89 in Melbourne. Kim, today is the 10th of January and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Passing Shot HQ. But before we do that, how are you? How are you doing? How has the off season been for you? I know it's been incredibly short for all tennis fans out there, including, well, including ourselves. Was your, did you have a, did you have a good Christmas break? Christmas feels like quite a long time ago now, Joel. Not going to lie, because, you know, <laughs> this new season has, has started with quite a bang. You know, tennis has become prime time news, which I have to say, I didn't think that would actually really happen. <laughs> um, and so Christmas seems quite a long time ago. Uh, but I'm really, I'm very much looking forward to AO. And, you know, now we've got all the warm up events underway and and obviously lots to discuss today. But um, I, I trust your, you know, you had a nice, nice week off as well. Two weeks off, three weeks, however long it's been now. Yes, I did. I got some tennis themed Christmas presents as well. I got a Wimbledon mouse mat which uh, I'm I'm now using at work, which is uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been yeah been quite chilled. It's been a bit hectic as well. Lots of friends getting in touch with me who I wouldn't have put them down as tennis fans. But yeah, since the uh, the drama of of Novak Djokovic and well Djokovic versus Australia, it feels like um, yeah, tennis has been global news. It has been on the back pages. It has been on the front pages. And again, it just, it just adds up to that, that thing that we all know as tennis fans is that tennis never sleeps, does it, Kim? It, regardless of the off season, there's always something to talk about. And 2022 has just started with a big, big dose of controversy, it seems. It has, and we will be getting on to that in just a second. Um, but before we, before we properly start, Joel, um, we just wanted to say to everyone uh, listening, we hope you also had a nice break uh, over the festive season and we are, you know, happy, happy that we're back. Um, and thank you to everyone who has so far supported our crowdfund as well. Just want to say a big, big thank you. We've been overwhelmed with the amount of support um, that we've had and sort of the donations coming in through that. So thank you massively to everyone who's contributed. Um, there is still time if you haven't. Um, we will remind everyone later as well. But um, just wanted to say thank you before we start. Um, but yeah, like you just said, Joel, uh, it's been a bit of a mess, <laughs> but also very interesting um, as a tennis fan, as a general sports fan as well. I don't really know where to start, but because I'm sure pretty much everyone listening will have been following what's going on. So we probably don't need to kind of explain all the all the background so much. But the early hours of this morning, you know, when we all woke up, we found out that Novak has been released from where he was being 
held at the Park Hotel in Melbourne. He's now free to go about his business. He's He's been seen practicing on Rod Laver Arena. Um, you know, he's very much there in it to to play the tournament and win it. Still subject to a possibility of the immigration minister, I think, you know, overriding the the judge's decision in, in the hearing. There is still a possibility that he could... Um, Exercise his powers. Yep. Um, in which case, I think if that happened, I think that would be a, a final decision. He has sort of the power to ignore the judge and just kind of take an overriding decision. I don't, I don't know if Djokovic could then appeal again. Kim, if that happened, he would get the... The Serbian mob uh, on the streets of Melbourne would be <laughs> would be after him, wouldn't they? Because that would be a. Uh, I mean, we're we're waiting to see on that decision, but yeah, it's very uh, it's very interesting if he if he decides to you know exercise that right. I feel that Australia are unlikely to to go for that because we've seen in the streets of Melbourne, you know. Quite a bit of furore. Mm. The Novak's fans have been sort of pepper sprayed by police. They were they were chasing a car down the street because they thought that was the car that contained Novak. I, I think actually it was perhaps a member of his team, but it wasn't actually Novak. But the police obviously felt that the fans were, I don't know, uh, they didn't want them ar- around, so they were pepper spraying them. I don't really know because I wasn't, you know, we, we're not there, we're not on the ground. So it's, it's hard to comment when you're just kind of presented with some footage and, you know, a reporter. Um, but it's publicly speaking, it's obviously caused a massive scandal. And, you know, we've seen obviously all the fans kind of camped out outside where Novak was was being held, you know, with Serbian flags, chanting his, his name, lighting candles. Um, you know, all these scenes that we never expected that we would be seeing. And, and obviously in Serbia, in Belgrade, they were obviously having a sort of mass gathering. His family were, you know, have been holding lots of uh, public speaking events they held a press conference today the, the the thing that I never thought I would actually see Joe and this kind of took it to the next level yesterday was when Nigel Farage uh rocked up in in Serbia I, I guess he'd been invited by by the Djokovic family or he'd somehow managed to wangle his way in um in support of Novak and um I mean I think we all saw that Andy Murray tweet basically you know putting Nigel Farage down and uh calling out the, the massive irony in the fact that Farage is suddenly speaking out, um, trying to keep someone in a country, whereas normally he's trying to keep people out. Absolutely bizarre. I mean, the whole Novak Djokovic family, you know, voicing, um, you know, speaking up and obviously in support of Djokovic has been, has taken it, I feel like, to the, the next level. Feels like his dad's calling on absolutely anyone and everyone to get, you know, get behind Novak and, and support him. But yeah, it's been, it's just been one massive circus and it's been a, a circus, I think, that everyone is, you know, forming an opinion of, seeing it being played out, whether that's in Australia, whether that's in, in Serbia. It's just, uh, you know, a crazy, hectic situation. And it's already a hectic you know, start to the season. We've had, what, six tournaments. There's been lots of different tennis going on, ATP Cup, team tennis. But this has kind of trumped it all. And there are lots of kind of talking points from different angles. You can, you know, look at this story. And, um, you know, obviously Novak Djokovic is someone who is unvaccinated we know that now from the the papers that have been filed and the impression i got kim was when his story broke and my immediate reaction was you know particularly with that instagram post with the the medical you know saying he got the medical exemption for me that was the that was the spark that kind of lit the fuse on the the australian on the australian public whilst he was probably asleep on his flight over 
um, to Australia that really kind of angered them in the sense that, you know, in some people's eyes, this was a guy who has not been vaccinated, but at the same time, doesn't want to accept the the consequences um, of of going unvaccinated because you know we've got players like Tennis Sangren, Ugs Eber as well who chosen also not to get to the va- not to get the vaccine but have also accepted that okay in that case I'm not going to play in Australia but for Novak Djokovic um, you know people will say well he should accept those consequences but the fact that he went after the exemption shows that he didn't want to you know compromise and you know potentially go after another Grand Slam title and that I think was really kind of the start I think of of where this this anger I think from you know the Australian public has come from because this is you know this is in a country or you know this is in the in the state of, of Victoria definitely where the restrictions that they've been under for you know such an amount of time it really is a deep deep contrast with the situation that Novak Djokovic finds himself in. Yeah, and I think, you know, Djokovic is someone who, I guess, being anti-vaccination is is part of his identity. He's, you know, and I think now more so than ever, you know, he's... he He's come he's to embody it, I feel like, on the, yeah. on the biggest stage of all. And now I feel like he is sort of a martyr for the anti-vaxxers mm. cause. Um, and I think, you know, when he posted that for me and I read, you know, exemption regulations, I thought, oh... Well, that's very convenient. And I also was quite skeptical. Um, and I thought, well, this could be a load of tosh, you know, like and I was thinking he's obviously found someone to say that or maybe he does have a medical condition, you know, or someone's able to sign off on something to to get him to go. And obviously we realise now that Tennis Australia um basically obviously realised that some players wouldn't be able to play uh, if they weren't taking the vaccine and they um, they said that actually if you have a positive PCR COVID test within the last six months that this would then make you eligible which is what Novak has has obviously supplied paperwork and documentation which confirms a positive COVID test on the 16th of December uh, which is his you know that is his uh, his evidence his 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 exemption um, and I think Tennis Australia basically obviously you know you're ho- hosting a a world famous sporting event you want the number one player there you want someone there who's going for 21 slams you know making history like you're you know at the end of the day the event is a product you want to sell it and you want the world number one there so you're going to do all you can to get him to play um like people were saying you know they they wouldn't have sort of bent the rules so much for uh for you know world number 200 of, of course you know they, they're going to do all they can to allow someone like Djokovic who is openly anti-vaccination to, to play um and obviously the issue is that the uh the visa requirements didn't match up with what tennis Australia requirements were and I, I feel like tennis Australia didn't communicate where they should have done with with the federal authorities and the Victorian government as well and and then you get this this mismatch but yeah fundamentally I think Novak posting on social media obviously alerted not the, just the Australian public and the media but also you know that that alerted the border authorities and you know he might have been able to sneak in silently if if he mm. hadn't have posted perhaps and obviously he wasn't maybe to know that that would cause such a furore but you sort of think in hindsight would this have would this whole thing have happened if he hadn't have posted yes and we know with Djokovic we've seen I think examples in the past of PR own goals where you know he has thought right, this is a good thing to do. I'm thinking like, you know, the the Adria Cup, for example, um, but has then kind of turned and snowballed 
um, and been a big own goal for him. And I think, again, that sort of Instagram post was the another example of that. And if he hadn't posted it, then, yeah, who knows you know, whether the situation would have been, you know, more easily kind of handled. But at the same time, I don't think he should have ever been in a situation where he was at a, you know, at the border, having taken the flight and, you know, not not being let in. There, there is, I think, the communication between Tennis Australia and the government from, from that side, that needed to be, I think, firmed up a lot, lot sooner than it was. And it's, and I think that's sort of what led to this kind of circus situation because, you know, we all know, I think most people know kind of going on holiday or going to a, another country when you get to kind of border control, it's like the one, it's probably the one place where they're going to take absolutely nothing regardless of, you know, who you are, whether you're a celebrity. For example, it's like you can't fly without a passport. There's no way of, of getting around that. And it just felt from there, you know, this situation just decided to kind of unravel and become and and go from a sports story to kind of a, a global you know a global news story and i think i think the the problem the problem i think is that it's just very messy and you know with the government saying one thing there's no kind of coordination i feel and you know craig craig tidy obviously i think wants novak djokovic to play he's come out and, and said that but ultimately the it might not be up to him it might just be up to the the government and maybe he didn't realize or or accept that and that's maybe why you know we're in this point where we still don't even know if he's going to be able to you know defend his title i think craig tiley you know there was a bit of controversy last year wasn't there with um sort of the conditions of the quarantine and see players not being very happy with with that and you know he kind of came under quite a bit of criticism then and obviously criticism again this year and maybe maybe Craig Tiley's not the right man for the job uh to, to to lead up this tournament I I feel that you know I know he I think he's quite close with Djokovic and um obviously did want him there but perhaps I I got the impression that it was almost like luring Novak there under a false sense of yeah everything will be fine we've, we've sorted it all out and obviously mm. in reality that was not the case and I think it's yeah it is a bit embarrassing for Tennis Australia it is a bit embarrassing for um for I guess the, the country as a whole, yeah, because I th- I feel like the government um, or the government authorities have, have effectively undermined Tennis Australia when you know they rejected his visa and and put him into uh, you know put him into this kind of hotel um, and you know I I wonder whether the you know the government they they saw the the public reaction to. That you know Novak Djokovic posting about this exemption, and then they you know they they listen to the public and are actually like, we've got an opportunity to do you know maybe a U turn on on this, and you know really kind of yeah as you said kind of make Djokovic this this person that we're going to make an example of, um, and try and get brownie points from the you know the Australian public because you know this is a guy who's who's not vaccinated. We shouldn't be allowed allowing him to you know travel freely through you know australia given that we've been under such you know restrictions the fact that you know spectators at the australian open have to be uh you know double vaccinated um and uh, again as a result of that it's just made i think tennis australia lose its credibility and yes they've got a responsibility to to run a tennis tournament and yes that has become more more and more complex in the last you know couple of seasons because of the the pandemic and i think maybe they needed to factor in more you know running a tournament now involves communicating with you know your state with the the government as well um and making sure that you're all kind of 
universally aligned because from this you know from this this uh you know this situation it's quite clear that i think no one was sort of aligned everyone was in the dark fans are still in the dark and it's created this situation where there's just so many different parties at play here and you know we're still less than a week now to you know the main the main draw qualifying is already underway we still don't know if the the top seed is going to be there I think also, you know, Djokovic has been used as a bit of a political football by um, like Scott Morrison and the federal government and then the Victorian government. And I think, you know, we're not in Australia. We don't really, I don't, I'm not going to lie. I don't follow Australian politics. Mm. We're very kind of separated from it, I think. And so therefore, I think it's hard for us to comment because we don't really know the situation on the ground and all the kind of complexities politically. But I think that, you know, and this is where I do feel some sympathy for Djokovic is is that he's been kind of used and caught up in this where it, like they're trying to you know because he's so famous use him as as a bit of a I guess example for their own particular political causes but you know in the kind of wider context as well and this is perhaps where I don't know if he's going to kind of speak about this but you know a lot of people have been saying you know this facility where Djokovic was, was being held you know the Park Hotel in, in Melbourne is is where a lot of refugees are being held some of them have been there for you know years and years and you know it's it's drawn a light on on that situation and a lot of people have thought well is if there's maybe one good thing to come from this is that you know you can sort of shine a light on on the situation of people who are just being detained and you know they're not getting a hearing in in three days time you know they're they're having to remain there indefinitely um and it it does kind of obviously bring that into into context and I think you know some of them have sort of spoken out you know and yes Novak's there and everyone's sort of asking everyone about what what it's like for him what are the conditions like but you know, I, I'm sure that his conditions weren't quite as bad as mm. as the conditions that everyone else in that building has ha- have you know have had to endure and, and are enduring. I mean, Kim, the the other thing that is is coming out at the moment, which I do think is going to affect the you know, it's going to be more long term, and is I think something fans can actually you know identify with. Yes, there are all these kind of legal proceedings going on at the moment, and again, I'm in this position where yes, they're happening. They're they feel like they're quite complex, but there is one there is one instance where, you know, coming out at the moment is this story about Novak Djokovic testing positive with a PCR test on the 16th of December and then him subsequently being shown doing activities out in the public, um, you know, photos with, I think, youngsters in, in Serbia on the 17th, which suggests, and we don't know this for a fact, but it does suggest that he knowingly had a positive PCR test but was still going out and doing Novak Djokovic things and trying to be the the best person that you know he was but again if this is if this is right it's it just shows again a disregard I think to you know the severity of the situation you know in the UK if that happened you you'd need to go and put yourself um into into isolation and again I think this is something that I think fans will are going to judge him on and perhaps his his legacy as as a tennis player is going to be judged you know on things like this because this is something that I think everyone can you know identify with especially you know obviously people who've already had um you know coronavirus I mean where 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 do you stand on this because I think this is I think for I think now we're getting to a point this is the question I think a lot of fans want to know the answer of yeah this is the bit that sticks for me um you know, you test positive on the 16th, 
you then attend I think actually it was it wasn't a governmental event it was like a ceremony on the 17th no masks shaking hands um why on earth the day after you've tested positive would you go out to a lot you know a, a public event you're being photographed you're on camera you know it's probably going to spread all over the country that you're doing this event you're, you're coming into contact with loads and loads of people why on earth would you think that was appropriate like given that we're almost two years into this pandemic you know I assume that Serbia also has an isolation requirement if you test positive um it just shows a complete disregard and and lack of respect for for the rules or and the virus and it you know he's not just an anti-vaxxer is he sort of just a COVID denier generally it just you know for me like this is the the thing that I hope that every tennis journalist is going to ask in in his press conferences yep. like before yep. the tournament after he plays because I just think fundamentally you you cannot get away from from this like the dates do not lie you know and he's submitted this paperwork this evidence that says clearly on the 16th positive test um I would I, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see what he says uh, about this because um his family were asked about it in in the press conference that they held today and their response was oh we're going to have to finish the press conference now <laughs> they they could not come up with mm. they didn't even attempt to answer the question um so for me it's either you know it shows a complete kind of lack of moral regard um by the fact that you know you're going out the day after knowing you've got coronavirus and spreading it willy-nilly or perhaps the PCR test on the 16th, perhaps I'm not saying that this is, it's been faked, but if you had somehow managed to get a a fake positive result and then you knew that you actually didn't have it, then you'd feel like, yeah, I can go out and about because I don't actually have COVID. Um, Could that also be a, you know, possibility? But I just think if if you're going to, like in that instance, if you're going to sort of conveniently get COVID just before you go to the Australian Open, like, it seems strange that Novak didn't tweet about it and say, oh, I've got COVID. I'm going to be isolating like he did when he had it in 2020. It just, for me, it's, it kind of smells quite fishy. Um, and I just hope that it's followed up on because I just think this is, for me, the thing that makes me, as a tennis fan and, and just as a human being, like angry. Um, and I just think I, I want to know what his his answer and his his supposed rationale for this is. End of rant. End of rant. <laughs> I mean, let's 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 focus on on the tennis and well, or the or the lack of tennis that he's had because you know he's posted a photo today of him uh, at Rod Laver Arena. Now, a lot of people are saying this is actually a good move from him because it actually shows you know him being there, part of the tournament will make it harder for you know someone to come in and say actually no, you can't play because you just just visibly just seeing him him there. Um, I think would have quite an impact now. Do you are you expecting him to 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 play? Are you expecting him to be there to defend his titles as a top seed? Where, where do you think we stand at the moment? I think he's gone through so much to to be in the country. I don't see why you would withdraw voluntarily. I think the only reason he won't play is if uh, a certain person revokes his visa and, and sends him home. Or um, is that going to be a Rafa Nadal fan? Do you think? <laughs> or you know he might he might catch COVID again or, you know, he might suddenly something might happen. I don't know. Maybe karma will, will play its role. I don't know. Um, I just don't see why you would 
willingly remove yourself now. Um, and I feel like it's probably going to fire him up even more. And he's probably, to all the fans that are probably going to boo him in his first match, you'll probably think, well, bring it on. And uh, he might channel that. We, we've seen him channel anti-crowd vibes before uh, into success. Mm. So, Well, yeah, it's, you know. it's interesting you talk about that because Nick Kyrgios was, you know, t- tweeting about this and, and saying, you know, what's the effect of, this guy is going to be more fired up than ever now. I would not want to face him. And, you know, re- and regardless of having any sort of match preparation, in fact, in a, in a weird way, this might have been the, the, best, the best preparation he could have had because it's going to fire him up to a level potentially that we've, you know, not, not seen before. But at, at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, he could get booed, but I think it, I don't know. I don't know if he is a security risk to the, the tournament being on, on Rod Laver Eva. I obviously hope not, but I, 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 you know, the people care so passionately, you know, about, about this topic, you know, both for and against. Who knows whether they're going to be, you know, crowd scuffles or, you know, dare I say someone, you know, stepping over the, the barrier onto the, the tennis court. You know, we've seen instances like that before. You know, we don't like obviously to see them and, you know, they are, you know, they are obviously not pleasant, not nice. I hope obviously the security is in place, but I don't think you could rule those scenarios out. And, and again, it's going to be, I think it's going to be, those matches are going to be very hard, I think, to handle, not just, just, not just about it being a tennis match. It's now (laughs) been elevated, I think, much, much, much higher than that. And, you know, this, this tournament is going to probably be one of the ones that is going to live infamously in the memory because of the the setup. And you know, if he does get to to go out there, um, you know, round one, you know, potentially all the way through to the final, there's a lot more to the story that could be written. And it, it, I don't know, there could be. I feel like there could be crowd trouble. You know, at all the Djokovic matches that get played. Yeah, I, I was also thinking there could be um, crowd trouble, but I, I don't know how many vocal Djokovic kind of anti-vax brigade will be in the site mm. because obviously you have to have your vaccinations yep. to actually attend. Yep. So I don't know if that would bias the kind of sway of, of, of the share of, of the audience. But um, I think he's, you know, he's got to expect that. There's been so much public outcry. Do you think he will get booed? Do you, if he gets on court, do you think he's going to get like a wall of, a chorus of boos to, to greet him? Um, I think in his first match, I I, I mean, there's going to be a lot of attention and all eyes will be on it and all ears as well on, on the booing front. Um, I, I'm sure there'll be some, I mean, we know what the Australian crowd can be like at the best of times. You know, they they get, can, you know, uh, be quite vocal. So We just I, need the draw gods to give us a Nick Kyrgios, Novak well, Djokovic first that, round, don't we? Yeah, except Kyrgios is just tested positive for covid but he may he may still be there but i was just thinking can you imagine if novak is drawn against someone like akirios in the first round like the that would be you know incredibly intense um <laughs> that would be that would be pretty cool actually um i mean at the end of the day joel despite all of this i still have him as my tournament favorite <laughs> uh, i still expect djokovic to win mm. he's he's kind of come back from what we've thought uh various injuries and ailments and you know the jaws of defeat before uh many times and still won so i kind of fully expect that in three weeks time he will have a, yet another australian open title to his name uh there's a long road to go. We'll see. I do expect him to be 
part of the tournament now and you know we'll see we'll see what the latest develop developments are but of course there has been tennis going on this week so let's let's move over and actually talk about some some results on the court um particularly on the men's side we've had the atp cup uh take place and we've also had the melbourne somerset one atp 250 and the adelaide international one let's start with the atp cup kim uh team canada they won against Spain in the final 2-0. Felix Auger-Aliassime, Denis Shapovalov doing the business over Bautista Agut and Karenio Buster. Uh, yeah, I mean, Canada winning the ATP Cup. I mean, forget opinions on the ATP Cup. I'm still, I'm still on the fence about it. But yeah, for Canada to come through and win this, particularly given the start they had. I think they lost their first match 3-0 to, to the United States. I think they lost actually their first four ties. This, I think, is a big bit of a big upset, I think. If you look at it in the terms, in the context of 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 the teams that were there, you know, you had Spain, Russia, you would have expected probably one of those to, to go on and win it. But Canada as the underdogs really have, have come through and I think shown what you can do in this format with with two very handy singles players. Yeah, I mean, Russia, they didn't have Andre Rublev. So R- Roman Sifulin was uh, was taking his place. Uh, but yeah. actually, you know, they... they no, Kachanov either, actually. Yeah, exactly. Kachanov was playing Adelaide. Um, I think Canada, yeah, I didn't have them uh, down, down to win it. But actually, when you think about it, they've got two superb, you know, highly ranked singles players um, who also teamed up and played very, very well in the doubles, uh, in the yeah. doubles together. You know, they're childhood friends. They've grown up together. Um, and do you know what this means, Joel? Felix Auger Aliassime. Does he won a title? Won a title. Oh, <laughs> is this a caveat though? Hang on. Is this a caveat? Because it's a team. Yeah. It's it a really team count. competition. Does it count? Oh, well, I don't know. Count- it doesn't count it's as got a, ATP you know, points though it's got ranking points attached yeah, to it it doesn't so. count as a singles title but it, it's a cup <laughs> it's a cup he's mm. he's won a, a winner's trophy so I'm very pleased for him and um yeah obviously him and Shapovalov kind of with the leading lights they got off to a bad start though their first um four matches I think they they lost uh, as a team so not great but yeah it was uh yeah it was it, it was a good I think you know the, the issue I had with this tournament um you know, I think particularly starting off, you know, the group stages, a lot of those singles matches were low ranked player versus low ranked player. And it just was not, it was just not very interesting. And I think you could tell by how little, uh, you know, little people were, were in the crowds. It just was not, just did not really create kind of exciting and, and compelling tennis, I think, till later on in the the competition really from the the semi-final stage onwards um and i think for me that was one of the big issues of of the tournament was that quality wise i just don't really think we got as many quality matchups as i think we you know would have wanted to and yeah maybe the 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 big players you know like you know herkaj zverev ojal yasim um medvedev yeah they got their kind of match practice in you know ahead of your australian open but at the same time i didn't just didn't feel like there was there was really much to talk about in terms of like the the competition the competition itself particularly i think in the the singles ties yeah and obviously like rafa was playing in melbourne not playing atp Mm. cup you know he's in the country but he's not at the team event he's doing his own thing in melbourne which you know some people might have thought well you know why, why not play the atp cup but what would you have done? What would you have done? Would you would you turn out for your for your country over a two fifty? Because I feel like the two fifty would be better better suited practice in a build up mm. to a Grand Slam versus a 
best of three tie format. Yes, you you get guaranteed more matches, um, and you can play singles and doubles, so you can get a lot of time on court. But I think if you're a top player, I think doing the 250, getting straight into a competition in a format you know you know very well and very familiar with. I feel like for me that that is that is sort of where I I would be heading as opposed to yeah turning out for yeah what some people might see as a glorified team event. Yeah, I think, I mean, if I was Rafa, I, I would have done what he did, which was, you know, to play the Melbourne events, then you're playing on, mm-hmm. you know, the same courts and surface that you will be playing on, you know, a week and a bit later. So it makes makes total sense to base yourself there, um, you know, not be in a different city and, and just get to Melbourne, you know, from the word go. So um, I can understand it from both perspectives. I think someone like a Roman Safulin, you know, this is fantastic opportunity to play for your country, whereas yeah. you, you, know, you wouldn't normally get to to maybe participate. So he you know, was like this like year's corrective. He was like this year's <laughs> corrective. I felt the yeah, number of yeah. times uh, I, I was I was seeing him in uh, in the stories. Um, but yeah, he did he did pretty well. I think um, you know on alongside Daniel Med uh, Daniel Medvedev. Now, just talking about Team GB as well. I I think you know they had a pretty pretty good showing they were in the group with canada uh i think germany and usa they were one two lost one i think it came it was very very close it came down to that doubles match ultimately with with canada where i think again it was a bit of an upset i would have thought you know jamie murray potentially would have got it done with joe salisbury but it wasn't the case and i did feel like a running theme of the tournament was singles players coming together in the doubles and playing better than double playing better than double specialists yeah well dan evans had a had a great yeah. week i don't think he he lost a match did he in in singles or doubles and i think that maybe we should have played uh, a murray evans combo for that canada doubles tie but um you know so it's great great at, you know dan evans i'm really excited to see what he's going to do um at the ao given his form you know uh this past week cam norrie you know not quite so good you know didn't didn't um you know he played obviously Zverev Felix lost but I mean at least you're getting to play top players in that regard you know which you know perhaps this is still better practice than him playing a 250 and having lower ranked opponents because you know he wants to be continually up there playing people around the same ranking of him as him um now so you know I think GB did did relatively well very narrowly lost and and who knows yeah if we'd have got through Canada we could have potentially uh you know, gone all the way like they did. But, um, you know, not the best ATP Cup, I think, that we've had. Very much overshadowed by what's been going on, obviously, with Djokovic. Uh, definitely felt like a second-class citizen, I think, uh, this week, as has all the other sort of tennis, really. Um, but obviously, Joel, the most important thing that has happened in the last week is that Rafa has won his 89th career title, uh, singles title, uh, at the Melbourne Somerset event, um, beating... Maxime Cressy in the final in straight sets. So, um, you know, as a Rafa fan, I'm delighted that he's back and that he's, you know, won a, a tournament yet again. I think this is like the 19th year straight that he's won a tournament on the tour. So um, I'm, I'm pleased that for 2022, he's already, you know, ticked that box off. Yeah, this is the this is the comeback I wanted Andy Murray to do. Just walk into a tournament and, uh, you know, get through to the final. 
straight sets, didn't drop a set all the time, um, you know, in the tournament. And, uh, you know, yeah, very, very, very decent showing from him. I think a bit surprising to, to see Maxime Cressy from the United States qualifier, um, get through to the final. He, he took out Opelka, the second seed. I think he saved a match point in that match. Um, and then came through against Dimitrov in the semi. So he had a very, very good week. And I think, you know, with the final, although it was straight sets, it was quite entertaining because, because Cressy's game, it was very, very serve and volley. He's got big serve. He'd like to come to the net. And it was quite fun, I think, to see Nadal try and try and figure that out against an opponent he probably hadn't heard much of, um, you know, before, you know, go, before going into the tournament. So, you know, he did, I think, give him a little bit of a, a run for his money. You know, that first set, he did have a, a set point that, that Rafa had to, to fend off. But yeah, I think Rafa will be in a very, very good, very, very good place going into Melbourne. Probably the complete opposite to, to Novak Djokovic. I mean, are you, I mean, just talking about Nadal and the fact he's, you know, he's coming back because, you know, before this, we saw him in that exhibition, uh, you know, against Andy Murray earlier on, uh, you know, in, in the preseason. But are you, have you got, you got big hopes for Rafa at the Australian Open? Because it's not really a tournament. He does, of the slams anyway, he's only, I think he's only won it once. Are you, uh, are you expecting him to be one of the, the favourites? He's only won it once, but he's got several other finals. <laughs> and uh, I, actually, someone, I think a journalist uh, raised this in a press conference and said to Rafa, oh, since you won the tournament in 2009, you've only, you know, you haven't gone beyond the semifinals. And, and Rafa was quick to say, well, actually, I got to the final in 2012, 2014, 2017, you know. Um, so, <laughs> yes, it's not his best slam, um, but, you know, it's it's he's always had, I think, a few injury woes here and and other things but um I don't know this tournament you know he hasn't had to play anyone particularly um highly ranked uh he got a walkover in in against Talon Griegsbor uh in the uh quarterfinals so he only played three matches so I'm not going to suddenly start saying that Rafa's you know fully back and in perfect form you know um but it's a good start to the season and I think you just sort of got to take it a day take it a day in a match at a time and just a note on Andy Murray, Joel, I know you were saying that you'd have loved him to have come back and, and won a 250, but unfortunately he lost to Facundo Bagnis of Argentina oh, in the yes. first round. Oh. I think you were really pleased with that draw. You said to me, <laughs> oh, finally, Andy's got a decent draw. And I was like, oh, don't <laughs> underestimate Bagnis. And, you know. I actually thought you had a couple of drinks when you were messaging me saying, don't underestimate uh, Facundo Bagnis. But, uh, well, yeah, I obviously clearly I underestimated him because he played a, you know, really, really uh, high level of ten- tennis, I think, for his, given his ranking, I certainly think he played above it. And I think, you know, for Murray, I think he'll be disappointed, particularly, I feel like I say this a lot, but particularly on breakpoint conversion, you know, he had his opportunities and these are the sorts of matches you know, he should be winning in straight sets. Um, you know, I will say, you know, in terms of the, the positives, you know, I don't think Murray has looked any better than, you know, he is at the moment down under in the last 18 months or so. You know, he's had a good, you know, good preseason. You know, he had that win against Nadal. Um, he's looked really good on the tennis court. But I always feel like, you know, when he's coming up in these first round matches, his opponents are just, they're like, oh, I've got a, sh- I've, I've got a shot here. You know, I feel like Murray could be vulnerable because of the injuries he's had he's a bit of a legend so I'm going to really kind of elevate and up my game and I think that's the that's a challenge with comebacks isn't it you know I think your opponents think they have that half extra chance to to get the win and I think that 
potentially elevated Bagnus's his level. Um, so, you know, Murray moves on. He's taken a wild card into Sydney uh, this week coming. So hopefully he can do a bit better there. I mean, Kim, just quickly. I mean, he is there on a wild card this season. Can he, do you think he should be doing kind of wild card after wild card after wild card at the, you know, ATP tournaments if his ranking doesn't get him in on the, you know, on, on the direct entry or, or how long has this kind of wild card tournament situation got left do you think well i don't see what else he can do unless he sort of said right i'm not going to accept any wild cards and i'll just mm. play challies you know mm. until he kind of starts winning more matches so that he's not in a position where he needs the wild cards then i don't see an end to it because i think tournaments are still always going to give him a wild card at least for the foreseeable so um i get it's it's kind of like he just needs to get to that point where you kind of higher up and you're not getting defeated in the first round by you know people you kind of historically would have just easily beaten but he remains a legend though Joel on Twitter (laughs) and off Uh, so uh, let's hope that next week brings him better luck Um, my favourite thing apart from Rafa winning uh, Melbourne was uh, Riley Apelka getting pooed on by a bird I thought that was quite entertaining it pooed on his hat (laughs) And he had to get a replacement. Uh, eventually, they the tournament uh, gave him one, uh, like an official tournament hat, because he didn't have a... Well, he had a spare hat, but they wouldn't allow him to wear it because the logo was too big and, you know, not He's got massive head. Exactly. He's got loads of hair that he could, meant he couldn't play without a hat. Yeah, it was a bit of a shambles, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, the moral is, well, you know, bring a spare hat in case you get chat on uh, <laughs> as Apelka has learnt his lesson but um, yes and we also had obviously the Adelaide event going on uh, Gail Monfils won that one top seed uh, beat Kachanov in the final in straight sets 6-4-6-4 this is a you know really pleasing result I think you know I think Monfils has a lot of fans you know we love to see him play we love his agility and his his creativeness on the court um, and it's nice to see him back winning a title um to start his season off and uh you know he was very comfortable didn't drop a set all week yeah it was very 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 good I was amazed he was the top seed um <laughs> but um yeah he played fantastic tennis throughout the week and I mean he's just uh you know he's just an entertainer and he just entertained just entertained the crowd and you know him and, and Kim and Kachinov in that final yeah two players I think you know overdue a title i think karen kachinov hasn't won since like the paris masters back in 2018 or something so you know they were both probably looking at that as a, a big of an opportunity but monfils coming through just another word, no, note on this tournament kim uh kokinakis as well getting to the semi-final on a wild card that was that was very pleasing i think to see you know a player who has got undoubted talent but has always sort of been hit by injuries over the last kind of few seasons so for him to take a wild card um you know take out Francis Tiafo in the second round quite quite decent and then Emer in the, in the quarters in like a two and a half hour match where he was at times it felt he was down and out but really you know used the crowd to his advantage and you know he has such I think he just has such great belief and you know regardless of, of what situation he might find himself in I think the fact that he's gone through so many injury troubles, I think, you know, he, he can probably go back to those dark times on the court and, and get inspiration from it. And yeah, it was good to see him, I think, get through to the, the semi-finals. 
Okay, let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at Ash Barty's success in Adelaide, Simona Halep getting back on track in Melbourne and all the tournament action happening this week in the final build-up to the Australian Open. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half. We're going to look at the WTA events in a second. But we do have a return of par for the courts, Joel, for the new year, (laughs) 2022. I hope you've got a nice challenging one up your sleeve to start our season off. Yes, I have got a good one. I've got a good one for you. It's quite a lengthy one, actually. You know, I'm going for quantity here. We are talking about Grand Slams. But we're talking about Grand Slams won by people who aren't named Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal or Novak Djokovic. So my path for the courts for you is there are 17 players who have won a Grand Slam not named Federer, Nadal or Djokovic since the start of the year 2000. Who are those 17 players? And... I think there's quite there's obviously some 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 easier answers, some more difficult answers as well. So, uh, out of seventeen, I am I'm expecting you to get to at least. Oh, I'm going to be quite. I'm going to say twelve. I'm going to be quite difficult and say twelve out of seventeen to reach par for the courts. So, seventeen players won a slam, not named Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic since. The start of the year two thousand. Who are they? Right. Okay. Yeah. I think. I think I could get twelve. Um. I don't know whether to. I'm going to go back from present day backwards. I think. Okay. So, let's go for Daniel Medvedev. Correct. Yes. Okay. I might just go in a random order because I'm just <laughs> going to shout. Who comes to my mind first? Marin Cilic. Marin Cilic. Correct. Stan Wawrinka. I don't know why I'm saying it in this voice. <laughs> it's like game show <laughs> voice. I love it. Um, yes, uh, Stan Wawrinka, correct. Juan Martín Del Potro. <laughs> correct. Marat Safin. Correct. Yes, that's five. Um, Juan Carlos Ferrero. Definitely not in the in most recent uh, first, no. but yes, uh, yes, one Carlos Ferreira is correct. So that's six, six out of six out of twelve. So you're halfway there now. Carlos Moya. Carlos Moya. Yes, did he not win a slam in like two thousand one? Carlos 2000? Moya, Kim. Kim. Yes, yes. What's wrong with Carlos Moya? Did he not win the French Open? Carlos Moya is incorrect. Oh no! I oh, did he never win a slam? He's been world number one, but he obviously didn't win a slam. Oh, damn it! Oh, you, did Honestly. you think Carlos Moya won the French Open? Yes, I did. How embarrassing! He won <laughs> it apologize. in nineteen. He won it in nineteen ninety eight. Oh, oh, oh! Okay. So you got oh. so. Oh, Kim! <laughs> I thought it was like two thousand, okay. and there were so many easier answers you could have given me. <laughs> I know. I've, I've. Can I? Can I just quickly? I, I know I've lost. I didn't okay. make par, but I yes. will. I will say everyone else. Leighton Hewitt. Uh, yes, you could have said Leighton Hewitt. Yes. Um. Uh. Andy Roddick. Yes, Andy Roddick could have been a correct answer. Uh. 
Agassi? Would he? Yes, Agassi was the first one. Yes, Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras. Yes. Um. Oh, um, Thomas Johansson. Yes, very good. Yes. Uh, am I missing someone more recent? I think I'm missing someone. No. Oh, Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You could have gone Andy Murray. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, Pat. Uh, um, not Pat Rafter. Goran Ivanisevic. <laughs> yes, Goran Ivanisevic. Correct. With Wimbledon. Uh, how many have I got now? Uh, You're missing one, two, three. Oh, um, it'll be um, Gaudio. Did Gaudio win? Yes, that is correct. Yes, Gaston Gaudio. Um, I mean, this all doesn't matter because you said Carlos Moyo. I know, I know. know. Um, I'm almost angry that you went for Carlos Moyo and then then gave me all these correct answers. But um, yes, have you you got any more or am I going to have to hurry you? I think you'll have to relieve me now, Joel, yeah. I mean, you didn't say Dominic Team. Oh yeah. I mean that I just shows forgot. how that just shows how long he's been off the tour, I feel. Hopefully oh, we'll see him back at the Australian Open. Uh Dominic Team. Uh you could have also given me Albert Costa. Oh, yeah. I knew there was um, another Spaniard. Yeah, and the final person you were missing was Gustavo Querton. Oh, Guga. Okay, that was yep. a good one. Yep. That made me think and I thought wrong i think you got too cocky there i think you got too cocky and you just were expecting to get to 12 fairly easily and then you gave me yeah carlos moya well we do love a bit of carlos moya don't we so uh 98 2000 you know does it matter anyone uh he won (laughs) but no thanks for that joel i hope uh, everyone enjoyed playing along with our first path of the courts for the new season. Um, we do have a mailbag question as well, which is from Andy, who got in touch with us via email. Um, so Andy said, hello, Joel and Kim. Over the last six months, I've been getting much more into my tennis. With the new season just starting up, I would love to pick some players to follow throughout the season. But I don't want to be labelled a glory supporter by my mates or follow someone who is going to offer absolutely no hope. I'm looking for an entertainer and someone fun who could spring a surprise. So who would you recommend? Oh, that's a very good question, Andy. (laughs) Gosh. uh, So, okay, entertaining players, Joel. I I think I know the first player that you're going to say. Malik Malik Jaziri. Malik Jaziri, yeah, no. No, uh, well, I, I, you know, going on the Team Canada theme, I think Denis Shapovalov, uh, I mean, he's, he is in, I think he's falling into the trap of becoming known as an entertainer. Um, but I certainly think this could be a bit of a fun season for him. He's always a player, I think, got, he's got, always got the capability and the, the talent to win, uh, tournaments, but also, you know, has a, you know, very nice, easy on the ice, single-handed backhand, has a lot of flair. So for me, I'd definitely be picking Shapovalov as one of my players to to watch through the season. And do you have a, a sort of WTA player that you would suggest to Andy as well? I mean, or? for jokes, it would probably be like a, a Sophia Kennan or a Yelena <laughs> Ostapenko. Don't feel like you could go any, anywhere wrong there. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe potentially, um, and we'll come on to her, uh, you know, in a minute, uh, Amanda Anisimova could be quite interesting. She's been making a few surprising waves this week, uh, you know, winning tennis, to- tennis, tennis tournaments, uh, teaming up with Darren Cahill. So she could be a, an, another interesting one to watch, I think. 
uh, on the WTA side this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was thinking at Enisimova, probably, you know, a bit of recency kind of coming into it there, which mm, is just one yeah. tournament. But yeah. I mean, Emma Raducanu being obvious on the WTA tour as well, uh, assuming Ooh, also Andy. Is that, su- is that Glory supporting oh, though? maybe. She's, yeah. She's won the US Open. I don't know. Jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> oh, in that case, I'm going to say Anne Lee. I mean, no one outside of tennis will know who Anne Lee is. And she, <laughs> she could be an up and comer. So I think mm-hmm. Andy should go for her. And I would say Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, I think he's exciting. Mm-hmm. He's the next best Spanish uh, hope. And I think Andy should support him. Um, I also, Joel, in Collies today, I was looking through the names and there was a female player called, I think she's got the longest surname in, in the world, um, Tessa Andrian Yafitrimo. And I, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, I imagine it's a commentator's nightmare. But um, I'm going to sort of start looking out for her because, yeah, uh, just her name caught my eye. She's, she's French, I think. She's 23 okay. and she's, she's in qualities. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to like him. When you put, first put that name down, I actually thought you, you kind of held down the keys on your keyboard too long and uh, it, it wasn't actually right. It feels like, okay, Tessa, Andrian. Okay, I get that bit. And then the second half of the surname, I'm just like, oh, okay um but yes uh, yeah in australian open qualifying yeah which is already under underway um yeah we'll have to see have to hit, have to see how she gets on i have no doubt it is going to be a commentator's nightmare also a nightmare i feel for draw sheets whether they can actually fit that whole name on yeah i think she's gonna have to shorten it at some yeah. point uh, <laughs> um but let's talk about wta events because we had the adelaide event last week uh 500 event won by the top seed a lot of a lot of the top seeds winning uh in the last week uh ash barty she won pretty comfortably generally speaking uh six three six two in the final against elena uh rabakina um and she had a bit of a dodgy start to the tournament. She was a set down to Coco Goff, but she came through that and from then on was pretty relaxed, serving a lot uh, better and, uh, you know, was barely kind of facing any break points for the rest of the tournament. Very, very comfortable uh, and, and facing, you know, Iga Svantec, uh, you know, Sophia Kennan as well she beat. So playing some, you know, decent calibre opponents as well. Yeah, there was definitely a bit of rust, and understandably so, in that you know that match uh, against Coco Goff. I mean, she you know has taken you know a lot of time out from the game. For what I think her last tournament was the the U.S. Open, so I think understandably, and against a quality opponent in in Coco Goff as well. So you know the fact that she was able to come through that, um, I think, really kind of helped. Yeah, just kind of get some match practice in, get back out on court, know what that feeling is like. And from then on in, it was really kind of quite, uh, you know, quite comfortable for her against, you know, relatively kind of quality opponents. I was quite excited about Barty versus Sviontek because I think, you know, Sviontek's always quite a dangerous opponent. You know, she was coming through that draw, you know, quite well. She beat Azarenka 6-1 in, in the third set in her quarterfinal against her. So, you know, there was some very you know, that, that semi-final for me was very, very interesting. And for Barty to kind of come through that two and four quite comfortably, I mean, it just just underlines her status as, you know, the world number one favourite, you know, no doubt one of the favourites for, you know, the Australian Open. I mean, would you would you have her as the de facto favourite, um, you know, above everyone else? Or do you still f- see her as one of the favourites? Because, you know, she's only she has only played... You know, one tournament. She's not had a lot of, still not really had a lot of tennis over the last, you know, several months. Are you, you it, it, was this tournament enough for you? Do you think to be like, yeah, she's definitely going to be 
hard to stop her in in Melbourne. I don't think it's enough for me, and I, I'm purely because it's her home slam, and I just feel that you know historically, I think for a lot of um, Aussie players and, and just players generally at their home slam, I find that that's almost like a detractor. Like I think the the pressure, the, the expectation can get to you. Um, and I felt that a bit with Barty last year. So, you know, because she won, I think she won the same event last year, uh, got her season off to a, to a great start. But when it came to the AO, just didn't feel like she quite had the same oomph. <laughs> um, so, and I mean, she won the doubles here as well with, with Storm Sanders. So, you know, great week. She's pulled out of Sydney, but I don't think that's a sort of injury related thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if she's the favourite. I guess she probably is. But I'm also intrigued to see what um, Osaka is going to do because she was playing in in the Melbourne event or one of the Melbourne events got to the semis and then pulled out so you know this is her kind of first venture back onto the tour since well mm. the the French last year I, I want to yep. say when all that Olympics the press, press oh Olympics. the Olympics yeah, yeah exactly um or the, actually the US Open did she did she play the US Open and then withdrew after like one match or no, she didn't oh, play it. Who, yeah, I, I can't remember now. It seems so long ago. I do apologise, but um, uh, yeah, I think you know, in terms of AO, I'm kind of looking at those two. Um, but we do also have Sabrina Halep, who won um one of the events in Melbourne last week as well, uh, beating Kudermatova in the final straight set. So this is Halep's first title since Rome 2020. Um, she's gone back into the top 15 in the world now. Um, you know, she's been out for a while with various injuries, but had a difficult season last year. So it's just really nice to see her winning a title again, um, e- even if it's sort of a, you know, a small warm up uh, event for the Slam. Yeah, I mean, she didn't win a title last season. So to already do that after your your first tournament um, in, in 2022, I think is, you know, really great. Um, you know, I feel like we all know that she is, you know, quality, very, very much a quality tennis player, a Grand Slam quality t- tennis player. And I think, again, she's going to be another dark horse. Not, no, sorry, not even a dark horse. She's going to be one of those, I think, players who I think, you know, this season has a little bit of a, a point to prove in terms of, yeah, 2021 was difficult, you know, with the, the split as well from Darren Cahill. And she wants to prove that, you know, she can come back this, this season firing. And I think a few, few players in that, that position and it's going to be interesting to see how they do. I'm thinking Alina Svitolina has not had the best of the best of starts so far this season is probably another player. I think in a, a Simona Halep sort of position where she's, she, I think is going to have a bit of a point to prove given they've both suffered a bit of a, a ranking dip. I mean, Kim elsewhere, we had Naomi Osaka who was the top seed. Um, she pulled out of her semi-final with Kudometova. I mean, this is classic Naomi Osaka behavior. And I know some fans are not happy with it. She's just, I feel like any grand, with, with a grand slam coming up, any lead up event Naomi Osaka plays, she just likes to get a few matches under her belt and then she'll find any sort of reason to kind of just not play that, that final match. Um, which is annoying because I was like, oh, we could get a Halep Osaka, a Halep Osaka final in a WTA 250, which I actually thought that that would, I mean, that just shouldn't really happen, should it really? 
Well, uh, I mean, I would love it if it did, <laughs> but it, yeah, it would probably only happen in a you know pre-slam event. But yeah, classic Osaka. I think she does have a habit of withdrawing from semis and finals in those kind of warm-up events. And you know, if she had maybe a little niggle or she felt she needed to conserve something, you can't blame her because we've seen her do it before, and it seems to work for her because then she's you know fresh for the big the big event. She's the defending champion as well, so you know she's got to think of of defending that title. So. I don't blame her um, in the slightest f- for that decision. Um, it's a bit of a shame when it comes to to the finals and she does it and then, you know, the crowd are, are denied a final. Like, that's not a good look. But obviously you can't, you know, I I, I feel like there, there's got to be some genuine reason for it. Um, I mean, we had the other summer set event in Melbourne as well uh, happening at the same time, which uh, was won by Amanda Anisimova, who is actually being... Uh, coach now by by Darren Cahill so uh Simona Halep's former former coach and and you know still they're still very good friends so you know is is Amanda Anisimova possibly a dark horse to do big things at the AO you know she reached the French Open semis in 2019 she's been kind of a bit of a non-entity on the tour for a long time uh since then she's had personal issues I think she lost her father she's had um I think maybe some injury issues as well so she hasn't made a final since she won Bogota in 2019 um so it's been yeah a while and it's nice to see her back and she's still only 20 uh she's still got her whole career hopefully ahead of her she's really has been out in the wilderness and uh, you know she was one of those she is one of those players she just has undeniable talent can blast balls left right and center I think her return game particularly uh, last week was was exceptional um you know and, and coming through and working yeah with with Darren Cahill you know this is I think a trial at the moment I think you know Cahill I think you know he probably had probably one of the best weeks of everyone the fact you know with Simona Halep uh you know winning and a Samova winning as well but uh yeah it'll be interesting to see what comes of that you know that uh coaching trial with Cahill and Anna Samova obviously it sounds like it's been paying instant instant dividends but you know obviously Cahill and and Hallett parted I think you know one of the reasons for that was Cahill wanting to not travel as much have a bit more kind of family time so I don't know I think he's got media commitments as well so it'd be interesting to see how that setup goes going forward but yeah very promising early signs there because you know, Anna Samova again another player who has so much talent but has not for whatever reason just not been able to bring it so far but the fact that she's still very much in the early days of her her career it does does potentially bode well and who knows maybe 2022 will be a, a breakout season for Anna Samova it's certainly been a, a good start for her yeah she had to battle to win that title as well she was mm. a, a breakdown in the, in the third set to Sasnovich so and I always remember that that French Open semi-final she was in against Barty and it was such a topsy-turvy match and I still think that could have really gone either way uh, to mm, some extent yeah. and she could have got into that final but um, I, I do think she's a battler which I like. Yeah, yeah, definitely and, and I mean that the way the manner of her semi-final against Kasatkina I mean she in Kasatkina on her day very decent very handy player but Anna Samova with her power from the, the baseline just absolutely smoked her you know 6-2 six 6-love six I think Anna Samova is a bit of a confidence player I think you know there are times where you know if she's low on confidence it, it can look a real mess on on a tennis court and that's perhaps why you know we see her in terms of her ranking it's, it's dropped down from I think you know in or around top 20 just kind of in or around 
you know, I think seven, I think 70 or, or certainly just, uh, just inside the top hundred, you know, at the moment at 78. So, you know, if Cahill can come in, I think, and, you know, work with her game, instill that confidence that I think potentially she misses sometimes, she's going to be a very dangerous threat. Um, and yeah, definitely a potential dark horse at the Australian Open. Absolutely. And uh, let's have a look at what's happening this week. Uh, we've got Adelaide part two. Uh, Gail Monfils is playing there again. Uh, so is Karen Hatchinoff. They could meet in the semis uh, as a repeat of last week's final. Kokonakis is in the draw. Got Benoit Pair in the, in the first round. So that could be quite a, a fun one. Is that uh, ben, Benoit hoping... Pair after getting 78,000 uh, positive COVID tests or whatever he, oh. he was talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that could be, uh, well, we'll have to see if, if Kokonakis could, you know, go on another deep run, um, this week. Uh, I think your favorite Lloyd Harris is, is in action yes, as well. He likes a bit of Lloyd Harris. Yeah, I know. I mean, he could, wherever he can kind of follow up from last season, we'll, you know, we'll wait and see. I mean, interestingly, also got Botic van der Zanschulp against Marton Fucevic in the first round. I think that could be quite tasty. But, um, yeah, I think for, yeah, Monfils, uh, I don't see why not. He can just kind of continue the, you know, the momentum that he's, he's built on, on last week. Um, and maybe he could do the double. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, very kind of interesting looking draw. Um, yeah, very familiar kind of faces. John Isner is the second seed. I don't know if how much I'm really expecting there, but I think the, uh, the draw has certainly opened up for him with Tommy Paul coming through Francis Tiafo, um, in the first round. Chilich as well as you know very experienced I think he could be quite difficult to face against I think we could have a Monfils Chilich final again another final maybe from back in 10 years ago or whatever yeah or possibly Tommy Paul I'm gonna throw his name just beat Francis TFO um but we've also got Adelaide for the ladies as well uh Sabalenka is the top seed there although she did have she didn't have a very good um she didn't have a very good start no. last week. In she lost to Kaya Yuvan uh, yeah. last week. So, so I mean, I personally, I watched a bit of Madison Keys against Vitalina earlier. I've, I've quite liked uh, the look of Madison Keys this week. I think she could go on a bit of a run, perhaps. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I probably open for a lot of players to uh, to, to come through. Uh, perhaps Coco Goff as well, um, given that she was doing well last week against Barty. Nice to see Heather Watson as well in the main draw. She came through qualifying, has got Tamara Zidanjek, uh, the fourth seed, um, in quite a nice, nice part of the draw. If she could maybe cause an upset there, uh, could face Kovnic or Inglis in the, the second round. So I think that part of the draw is certainly open. You've got also, Kim, I love this, Lauren Davis versus Jill Teitman. I feel like that's such a classic round one WTA 250 matchup i don't even know what their head to head is i don't even know if they faced each other just just look at that match and think that is the most quintessential wta 250 match um going i don't know (laughs) if they should be offended or pleased by that (laughs) i think lauren dave is probably quite pleased by that because yeah she's she's come through qualifying but um yeah we'll 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 wait and see but yeah i said i feel like it's, it's quite open and i think yeah person who's probably got the most to gain is is sabalenka as the top seed She's in a nice part of the, again, quite an, I think she's in the nicer half. She's going to need to put that Kaya Yuvan loss to one side and just, yeah, get on with her season because I don't think she's want, she's not going to want to go into, you know, the AO, uh, you know, one zero loss to. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she 
gets on and whether she can yeah hit the ground hit the ground running after a small blip exactly and last but not least we have the sydney atp and wta events uh so atp event dan evans is there but it's being headed up by aslan karatsev who i guess will be hoping that in australia this year he can replicate some of his joy <laughs> of last season you know making the semi-finals at the ao so um he's the top seed we'll have to see what he can do obviously andy murray is in action as well with a wild card he's got victor durasevich uh, of nor of Norway uh, qualifier. So are you going to message me later on WhatsApp to say, um, don't, don't underestimate Durasevich? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I wanted to say this looks like a, a good draw, but then you said that about Bagness. So I, I'm just going to not comment, uh, I think, uh, but I, I'm hoping Dan Evans will do well, given his good form at the ATP cup. And I don't see anyone in the draw who, who he can't beat, to be quite honest with you. So I'd love to see him walk away with a title. Um, as for the WTA side of things, Emma Raducanu is in action and she's got uh, a very tough opener though, against uh, Elena Rabakina, who obviously just made the Adelaide final. So, I don't expect Emma to do particularly well, uh, perhaps Ooh, not even okay. win a match. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to say it. I think uh, it's going to be a difficult week for her. But, um, you know, she, you've got to be in it to, to win it. And she is in it at the moment. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be quite tricky. The The top seed is, we've also had, I think, a few dropouts here because Krachikova is now the uh, in the top position. I think Ash Barty, um, pulled out with a change of schedule. We've got Muguruza in there also at the bottom of the draw as the second seed. Quite excitingly, Kim, we've got Onjabor Petrikovitova in the second round, uh, which is quite an interesting matchup. Kvitova is unseeded um, at this 500, which just looks a bit funny um, when you look at the the draw. Uh, so that could be quite fun. I think Belinda Bencic as well, an unseeded player. She had a fantastic end to last season at the... Uh, the Billie Jean King Cup, which I was there for. So uh, I think she could be quite a, a dangerous uh, threat as well in that bottom half. I think Paula Bedosa, we've all seen her, how well she plays on a, on a hard court as well at the WTA final. She came through Yelena Ostapenko. So I think, yeah, there's quite a few, yeah, as you would expect at a, a 500 level event, quite a few dangerous players there. But I'd expect a, a seeded player to, to come through. I haven't even spoken about Annette Contevet as well, who, again, could be one of those players who just kind of carries on where they picked off at the end of last season. Yeah, we just don't know. She's like seventh in the world now. Mm. And uh, yeah, her exploits at the end of I last keep season. Forgetting that. I keep forgetting that happened. I don't know. Just like I happened at the end of the season, that crazy streak she went on. Um, and yeah, I be curious to see if she can continue it i mean she could face the winner well she will she if she comes through her second round match could face the winner of of kvitova or jabor so that could be quite fun lots of tasty matchups um and i'm sure plenty more to come over the next few weeks (laughs) as well um i think we'll kind of be back on thursday for an australian open preview episode once the draw has been made and i guess by then we'll know if novak Djokovic is definitely playing or not Uh, i'm sure if there's going to be a, a reversal of the recent court hearing that it will happen before then um otherwise they might just be like on the eve of the tournament oh sorry mate we've decided to uh chuck you out you know what kim i sort of hope not so we can get like a de facto like luckiest loser placed 
at the very top in the number one seeded position, uh, which would be, which would be hilarious. But I don't, yeah, I don't think that is going to happen. It's already been a much of, so much of a shambles. I don't think I can take much more of it, but, uh, we will, we will have to see. But, uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the, the passing shot, our first episode of our new season. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts or spotify and you can follow us on social media and email the show uh, we're on facebook instagram and twitter at passing shot pod or you can email us on passing pod at gmail.com and don't forget to check out our website www.thepassingshop.co.uk we will be back next time at passing shot hq to discuss the australian open main draws Will Novak Djokovic be in there? We will soon find out, but I hope you can join us for our next episode. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, and we'll see you again soon. 